having been through the ringer of sell, launching and selling a course before, I thought I want to make sure before I do anything big, I want to make sure that this will actually work. So what's the smallest thing I can do? What's the easiest way I can can validate that there is this audience uh, and not just that there's the audience, because I kind of felt like they're there for sure. But more than that, will they pay for this? If you follow me on Instagram, you know I love sharing parts of my workouts on my Instagram stories. Sometimes I share a bouldering problem that I'm especially proud of. Sometimes I share a new-to-me movement. Sometimes I share a new PR. Last week, I shared a video of a progression of pull-ups I did after a climbing workout. I did four wide-grip pull-ups, four strict pull-ups, three neutral-grip pull-ups, and one measly chin-up with minimal rest. Now, whenever I share things like that, I can count on getting some version of, oh, I could never do that, or how the heck did you even start working on that in response? And the truth is that just over a year ago, I couldn't do a single pull-up, and that just a year before that, I couldn't run a mile without stopping to catch my breath. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow small businesses today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, my fitness journey started with the seed of an idea. I thought that if I just got myself out of bed and walked on the treadmill for 10 to 15 minutes every morning before I had my coffee, my quality of life would improve. I didn't imagine doing pull-ups. I certainly didn't imagine running a half marathon, and I didn't imagine playing with barbells on a regular basis. But I committed to that small action to test my hypothesis. Would life be better if I moved a little more? Yes. Yes, it was. It was easy to see that moving made me feel better, and it made me sharper. Once I'd established that, I started to add a little more intensity. I incorporated a few minutes of jogging. I started hiking. Eventually, I tried climbing for the first time. My life kept getting better and better. I added strength training and lengthened my workouts. Today, I'm training for a half marathon and teaching a climbing class at my gym. Two years ago, these things would have seemed ridiculous. Now, as I'm sure you already realize, this same pattern of behavior applies to business too. What you'll be working on two years from now may be unbelievable to your current self, but the road to get there starts today with small actions, ideas, and experiments. Now, my guest today is Val Geisler. Val is an email marketing specialist and the founder of Fix My Churn. Today, Val is wrapping up a 12-week email marketing program that netted her about $90,000. But just six months ago, this kind of result would have been hard for her to believe. A small offer, a two-hour workshop on the research behind successful email marketing changed everything. I talk with Val about how she came up with the seed of her big idea, how she sold the workshop that started it all, and how she developed the 12-week program once she knew it would be a success. We also discuss the mindset behind starting small and why it was key to her accomplishment. Now, do you have a story about planting a seed in your business? Have you run a small experiment and watched it transform your business? Have you taken a small step and put yourself on a whole new path? I'd love to hear your story. Share it with us on Instagram using the hashtag explore what works and tag me, Tara, 
underscore McMullen. We'll be sharing your stories throughout the month, and you'll be entered to win a free lifetime membership to the What Works Network. For full rules and giveaway instructions, go to explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. That's explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. Giveaway closes April 22nd, 2019. Now let's find out what works for Val Geisler. Val Geisler, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be here, Tara. Yeah, Thanks I'm really I'm really excited about this conversation too. And I'm really excited about this whole theme for this month where we're talking about, you know, taking something really small, maybe taking a whim or taking a seed of an idea and growing it into something a lot bigger. And that's exactly what you've done. So let's start with that story. Where did the initial idea for your two-hour workshop come from? What was the workshop all about? And how did it fit into your business at that time? Yeah, something I know that you talk about a lot on this show is listening to your audience. And, uh, and that's where great ideas can come from. And so a little bit of background is that I, the majority of my audience is software companies. So I do email marketing for SaaS companies, uh, specifically companies focused on monthly recurring revenue. And so I have an email list. I'm an email marketer. I, I uh, focus on collecting email addresses and then um, communicating with people who want to hear from me through the email uh, email list. And in having that list, my goal was to educate SaaS founders and directors of marketing and directors of customer success. Uh, those are the t- people I tend to talk to who become my, my clients. I talked to them through my email and the, the opt-in is dedicated to them. Um, and you know, all of the onboarding, all of that is really built around those, th- that kind of avatar. I hate that word, but that, you know, that, that type of person. And in building my business, I started to find I had a lot of copywriters who wanted to learn more about email marketing joining my email list. And I knew that for a couple of reasons. Um, One, I was doing a lot of podcasts for freelancers and copywriters. uh, And those, when I would do a podcast and that podcast would air, I would see uh, my subscriber numbers go up and I would check out the email addresses and they were all small business owners. Uh, You know, you can see the domain name in in the email address, but without even doing that kind of detective work, my very first email that I send out in my automated onboarding sequence asks people to tell me their number one email marketing question. And so before they ever segment themselves further on down the line, I ask them to tell me if they're a SaaS business owner or a um, or an, an infopreneur, someone who runs their own business and uh, has their own products and services. Uh, so they do that later on down the line. But from that very first email, I was getting replies that said, "Hey, I'm a I'm a copywriter. I get email projects, and I just wanted to learn more from you about how to do email better and how to be more strategic and how to." help my clients with emails. Um, I had questions in there, like things that were keeping them up at night were, how do I get out of a charging per email cycle? Um, How do I build email funnels? How do I work with clients on email? How do I do email more? Uh, I'm, I'm really liking it. I was doing landing pages and 
I did an email project and fell in love and I want to know more. And I heard you on such and such podcast. And so I wanted to join your email list. Uh, my fellow copywriters were very open and honest. Some of them would say, I'm here to swipe your emails and <laughs> um, to see how you do it so that I can do it from my own list. And through, I don't know, four or six months of hearing these kinds of replies, I was at first it was like, oh, okay, well, hmm, maybe I should have a whole separate opt-in or, or offer just for copywriters. And and then I thought, no, that's they they're getting what they need here. Um so so what is it that I can do for them? And I, I certainly didn't set out to serve copywriters and to train people on how to do email. Um, but that's through listening to their responses to that welcome email, I started to realize, wow, my audience is really split between copywriters who want to learn from me and SaaS founders and and decision makers in SaaS companies who want to hire me. Wow. Do you know what the approximate split was? I mean, I think it's like 50-50. It kind of depends on, you know, what kind of marketing I'm doing. I, I've really narrowed my marketing focus for my business in um and I've been able to do that through specializing my my focus so I mm-hmm. used to be kind of a generalized marketer I you and I could talk for 2 hours about specialization <laughs> um, and uh and that's something that I've really focused on in the last two years. And it's revolutionized my business, but just by focusing on email, which is what I do best. It's what I love doing. And in doing that, I could really narrow the way that I marketed myself. So I, I go on podcasts related to software and e-commerce companies that have subscriptions. So they're focused on that monthly recurring revenue. And I talk about email. And then the other thing that I do that is um, kind of like my passion is supporting freelancers and supporting specifically copywriters in earning more and doing more of the work that they love to do uh, and getting out of this like client cycle, hustle cycle of, um, you know, hundred bucks per email. My client said, I need to write 10 emails, so I'm going to write 10 emails. And my question is always, why? Why 10? You know, is that the right answer? And there's so many, so many things that need to come before that, that that's what I want to teach copywriters to do. So I've been doing podcasts and speaking and, uh, and summits and all those things, but they are, they split those two focuses of supporting other freelancers and then, um, the, the SaaS founders and in that world. So I, I do find my email list tends to be kind of split and it just depends on how many freelance podcasts I've done recently and how many, uh, summits and speaking gigs I've done for the SaaS world recently. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. And it also kind of answers what was going to be my follow-up question, <laughs> which was um, why why go on podcasts that have audiences that aren't your normal clientele? And mm. what you said, and I'd love for you to clarify this too, is, is that's what your passion is, or you have a passion for mm. helping people who have been where you've been or who are where you've been and help them make better business decisions, help them help their clients better. Is that how you would categorize that uh, kind of that drive to get in front of those audiences, at least initially? Yeah, for sure. And I often find myself in communities, in conversations, I'll see someone post like, 
hey, you know, I I got a, a request for writing seven emails. I'm thinking of charging $50 per email. What do you guys think? And I can't stop myself on those (laughs) posts. Uh, And so I, instead of writing seven paragraphs to every one of those posts, I now have several podcast episodes that I've recorded uh, where we have that conversation and I walk people through the process and I can point them to those links and say, okay, first go listen to these two episodes and then, uh, then come back and we'll talk. Um, it, it, and it's not just in, in online communities either. It's, uh, you know, I use them regularly in my email list. Mm. Um, you know, people will email me and ask me to pick my brain about email or, you know, get, how did I get into my specialization? And now I can just send them, Hey, here's this hour long recording uh, and then ask me questions from that. I love how you characterize that piece of your body of work as being these kind of resources then that you can have, you can, I mean, you're essentially having a one-on-one conversation, but you're doing mm. it in a in a super duper leveraged way. Something that is going to going to be available to you for years to be able to utilize. Um, it makes a ton of sense. It gives, and I I think it gives sort of like a new perspective on why we share some of the things that we share and how we can utilize it to to help move us forward. So, okay, so we've we've now established that you identify there was a segment of your audience that was hungry for the information that you could provide and the experience that you had, um, but who did not fit your ideal client, uh, your your target client profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you decide on the, t- how did you decide to deliver a workshop to them? And how did you decide on the topic for that workshop? Yeah. So I was in a mastermind group and uh, just talking about this, this like, I am putting problem in air quotes because mm-hmm. it's it's a good problem to have that you have this this group of people that want to learn from you and you don't know how to serve them. And the initial thought from from the group at large was well put together a course or a program and and that does tend to be the what everyone thinks is the logical next step, right? Um, we'll build a six-part course and and sell that for two thousand dollars and uh, and sell hundreds of it. Um, that that is very much in the online space. What would be the next step once you've built up a particular audience? Then you have people ready and willing to learn from you and buy from you. And I've sold courses before. Um, I've run my business for six years. I've done everything from one-on-one services to working with teams to selling courses. And I, having been through the ringer of sell, launching and selling a course before, I thought, I want to make sure before I do anything big, I want to make sure that this will actually work. So what's the smallest thing I can do? What's the easiest way I can kind of validate that there is this audience uh, and not just that there's the audience, um, because I kind of felt like they're there for sure. Um, But more than that, will they pay for this? Uh, In the copywriter community, I hate to say that copywriters are cheap because they're not. Um, They spend money on courses and programs and trainings all the time. And that's actually the problem Mm. is that there's this like, I have this certification and this training and and this and and there's, um, there's a bit of like need to learn versus need to do. 
And, uh, and, you know, another certification will help me get to where I want to be. And I knew that that mindset creates a spending fatigue. And there is a breaking point in every business where you have now invested several thousands of dollars in your training, and you aren't bringing in clients, or you're bringing in small dollar clients. uh, And you, you know, you're starting to realize, oh, there's no balance here. So before I offered yet another large training, I thought, let's offer something small, and have people pay for it so that I can validate the fact that people are willing to pay for this particular training because there's plenty of free copywriter training out there. Uh, And not necessarily in what I'm teaching in the incubator now, um, but even the workshop that I taught, you could go and find all that information for free on various podcasts, blog posts, all of that. But again, it's that opportunity cost. Do I pay the 97? It was early bird was 97, regular price was 197. Do I pay that and attend the two hours and get what I need there? Or do I spend four or six or eight hours digging around the internet for what I hope is the right information for free? Um, So, you know, positioning it as getting it done and in your belt, like under your, uh, in your book of knowledge and able to implement from the workshop immediately afterward was crucial for me, uh, so that they recognized a value in an expense where, yeah, it was 97 or 197, which is significantly less expensive than the incubator that I ended up selling because of the workshop. But, um, that is still an expense that, uh, a lot of copywriters said, like some said, I can't hit buy fast enough. And some <laughs> said, I need a minute to, to go book a client so I can pay for this. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. What was the, what was the promise of that initial workshop? Like what, what was it that people were signing up for? Yeah. So they were signing up for a workshop about how to do research to properly plan an email campaign. Okay. Uh, and yeah. And so it was, it was really about, about strategizing the email campaign itself. And then, uh, and then I, I kind of live a Trojan horse lifestyle of with my business where I, I draw people in with a thing that I know that they want, and mm-hmm. then I give them what they actually need. Beautiful. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I love how specific the program topic was too, because in a two hour workshop, there's not a lot that you can cover, but I think a lot yeah. of people would make the mistake of trying to go pretty broad or trying to cover a bunch of different topics. And I love how specific that initial idea was. After the break, you'll find out how Val sold her workshop to her email list and followers. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Betch. It's tax season, and that means you're thinking about whether your books are in order. If you're ready to stop stressing about cleaning up your business finances yourself, it's time to get Bench. Bench combines easy-to-use software with real human beings who do your bookkeeping for you. Not only does your money stay neat and tidy, you get valuable monthly financial statements and expense reports, plus access to your personal bookkeeping team whenever you have a question. Even better, What Works listeners get 20% off their first six months of bookkeeping, and you can try it out free of charge before you commit. To get started, go to explorewhatworks.com slash bench. That's explorewhatworks.com slash bench. 
What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. You started your small business with an idea, and it's grown and grown. And now that you've built programs, events, online courses, or even a community, you realize that this growth has gotten a little out of hand. Your work and your customers are spread out over a bunch of different tools and platforms. Your content lives in a few different places. Your community hangs out somewhere else, and your products have grown up on yet another platform. And your payments, well, they're all over the place. Starting a mighty network can change all of that. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your content, products, community, events, and payment processing all together. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our upcoming virtual conference, and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business tidier. Start growing your business all in one place and finally see what your seed can grow into. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. Um, You mentioned the incubator program, and I want to get there in just a minute. But what did the marketing for that initial workshop look like? Mm-hmm. So I had early bird marketing, which was, you know, an early bird price, 97. And that went out to just my email list. Um, I think that maybe I, I spend the majority of my social media time on Twitter. So I think I maybe tweeted about it a couple of times. Hey, I'm going to be offering this workshop. If you want to find out about it, the only way to do it is on my email list. So I think I got some email signups because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't promote it anywhere else other than my email list. Um, I had a series of emails. I think it was in, in total five emails. I started promoting the workshop two weeks before uh, it went live and it was one week of early bird and then full price after that uh, for all the way up until you could buy the workshop until the morning of. Lovely. Thank you. Um, And were those emails more content related or were they more direct sales kind of pitchy emails? Mm, I tend to veer towards content related. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to teach a little bit and in every email that I send. And so I did a little bit of teaching and around in that teaching, you know, this, there was an invitation to, if you want to learn more about this, if you want to see, like there's this particular research technique, I can tell you about it, but you really need to see it in action and Mm -hmm. see how it can apply to what you do. So there was kind of that call to action of, it, to see this in action, to see how you can apply it, this is where you want to be. Perfect. And did you segment out the kind of the copywriter, small business owner mm-hmm. piece of your list and then the sort of SaaS marketers or did you just send it to everybody? So initially I sent it to everyone and I did, um, I, I'm an email nerd. And so I used, I used liquid text for my uh, segmenting, which meant that I had copy in the email that was specific to tags people had on their account. So if they were those uh, SaaS business owners, there was copy specific to them that said, um, you know, you can use this within your own business as a research technique for 
researching your own customers. Or if you know someone who would appreciate hearing about this, please send it to them. And then there was different copy that would go to people who had a tag of being an infopreneur. Um, but I, I did that initially. And then I did it again. Um, I had a few other emails in, in between, but I did it again. I sent it to everyone again. I think like, you know, two days before the workshop itself as a reminder that this is happening um, to share it with their their audience and people that they knew. Um, other than that, I did segmenting of if they clicked on the link to go to the landing page and sign up, um, but never actually purchased. I, I, I do track those things of did they click and show an interest? Then they got more emails. If they showed an interest and they, you would get more emails until they actually purchased the incubator and then they would stop getting emails about it. Cool. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, what were the results? How many seats did you sell? And like, what happened next? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 64 people bought the incubator, which uh, or sorry, they bought the workshop. And the the plan um, in developing the workshop was, okay, well, this workshop is going to be a, a lesson from inside the incubator, or at least a variation on a lesson inside the incubator. Um, the, as people started buying the workshop, kind of, it was probably after 30 or 40 people bought the workshop, I thought, okay, the incubator that that this idea that we came up with can be a real thing. Okay. And, uh, and so I knew that to validate the incubator, I needed, you know, the incubator had a goal of 20 people in it. So it was a very small group. And I didn't need a ton of people in the workshop in order to sell out the incubator from the workshop uh, email list. And why, why do you, why, why was that your hypothesis that you didn't need, like that you could have a really high conversion rate off of the sales of the workshop? Yeah, because I knew that the workshop was actionable and that people could come to the workshop and walk away and that afternoon implement what they learned in, in the workshop. So I knew that they were getting a, a highly actionable takeaway from it. Uh, and they they were purchasing the workshop. So unlike a free webinar uh, where you'll get thousands of signups or you know hundreds to thousands of signups for a free webinar, the conversions on that are a lot lower when you go to actually sell them something afterwards. When someone's paying for something initially, there's a, a level of investment. Obviously, more people showed up live. I think we only were missing like 10 if that, um, there was a recording of it. So they got that, but, um, you know, and the people who weren't showing up live definitely emailed me to tell me that they mm -hmm, weren't going mm -hmm. to be there, you know, so there's like a certain level of buy-in to, to the financial commitment, the time commitment, the implementation of the learning. And I just had this, um, from, from the emails that they sent in reply to my welcome email, all the way through to the emails I was getting that said, you know, I can't hit buy on this fast enough. Um, I can't wait for this workshop. I blocked the whole day off so that I can be there. Um, you know, those kinds of email replies to my initial sales emails were, uh, were validating to my, my hypothesis that, I didn't really need a ton of people in order to sell 20 seats uh, in an incubator. I love that. So it's basically like a webinar strategy, but a webinar strategy on steroids and like lots of steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, um, I don't know that I will. Well, that's not true. I will, I will likely do some free webinars in the future. Uh -huh. um, but the, and it, the goal of a free webinar is a very different goal uh, for, in my mind than of a paid yeah. workshop. 
Yeah, I think that is so smart. So smart. Okay, uh, walk me through the process then of actually turning uh, the workshop, or I guess the the larger idea behind the workshop into the three-month incubator program. What did that look like? Mm-hmm. So the workshop was designed to be, you know, that version of a lesson inside the incubator. Um, and on the workshop, I did not sell the incubator. Yeah. I mentioned hey, I am pulling together this incubator program. It's The workshop is in November, so the incubator was to start in January. Uh, I will I will definitely send you more information about it as it comes together. And as soon as I said that in the chat, people were like, I want in, me, 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 uh, send, send me the info. Do you have my email? I was like, yes, I have your email. You bought this workshop. Um, says the email so, marketer. Yeah, I was like, got it. Um, but I, I didn't sell anything on the workshop itself. I just said, if this is interesting to you, this is what I'm pulling together. It's still very loose. Uh, I think it'll start in January. We're thinking about 12 weeks. Uh, and it was, that was very truthful. It was still very uh, unplanned at that point. Uh, but then, you know, the second I closed down the workshop, I started to think about, okay, well, what does this program look like? It was very important to me that it the incubator be, so it's called an incubator um, for a reason, because I wanted it to be as actionable as the workshop itself. And the idea behind, you know, spend two hours here and immediately go implement it had to continue through the 12 weeks of the program. Um, I have been on the other side of courses where there's very little directive with what to do with the information. Um, There's not a lot of accountability. There's hundreds or thousands of people in a course. uh, And you just... uh, I don't know. I have a lot of courses that I never finished because I just work got busy and I had no accountability. You know, no one was really holding me to to doing it. Um, And and then, you know, paying clients tend to take precedence (laughs) over something that you've paid for. Uh, So I wanted to create something that was highly actionable, um, that had tons of accountability, accountability built in and also something where my students in the incubator were landing clients during the incubator because of what they were learning over those 12 weeks. So they were essentially reimbursing themselves for the cost of the program and then some before the program even ever ends. Uh, and that was really important to me. And, and, and I'm seeing that happen now. We're in week, uh, we're in the fourth lesson, so the eighth week, and that's happening. It's been happening for a couple of weeks now, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, did you build out the program completely before you started, or has it been something that has sort of, uh, that you've kind of created as you go? Yeah, I built an outline of, you know, obviously on a sales page, I had to tell people what we were covering in each week. I knew that we, it would be 12 weeks with six lessons. So it's a every other week uh, setup where they get a lesson on every other week. And then the opposite weeks, we have guest experts who complement what I'm teaching them and uh, bring, you know, bring another level and another bit of depth to the program. Um so I definitely outlined what went into each week before uh, before the sales page even went up. But I am 
co-creating it with my students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I know that you've talked about that a lot recently on, on the show of co-creating. Uh, and I feel like that's what I did from the beginning of co-creating this workshop for people that I didn't even know were here, you know? Um, and, and so something that was very clear to everyone joining the incubator because it was such a small group, I had I had one-on-one calls with every single person who who purchased a spot, uh, and in those calls, I said to them, "Hey, I have the content. I have an idea of what we're doing. Um, you know, you you definitely have have me as your guiding force here, and I expect you to co-create this with me. Mm-hmm. If there's something that you need." in the program, I want you to tell me. And they're they're doing that. They're saying, can we have a worksheet for that? Can we have, um, wh- one of the things was, can we actually have transcripts of all the lessons? Sure, yeah, if that's something you need to support your learning, I wanna give that to you. As long as it's reasonable and you know, uh, uh, something that I can actually turn around to them, I wanna support them in, in feeling like they're helping build the program that they need. Uh, and I think that they appreciate that. I think, you know, if I had created this course two years or this program two years ago, I probably would have felt like, no, I have to show up with every single thing and I have to be the authority and they are going to feel like they wasted their money. If I ask them what they want in the program, you know, I would let all that story in. And it turns out that they really appreciate it. They feel a level of autonomy in the course itself, the the content and the materials. Um, they they feel more tied to the work that they're doing when they are asking for different elements to show up. I love that. And so first off, I want to mention that if anyone is interested in this idea of co-creating with your audience and taking your ideas and making them better by actually working with other people around them, even when they're not perfect, uh, episode 176 with Margie Thomas, we talk Mm -hmm. basically for 45 minutes exclusively about that idea. (laughs) Um, So it's a super, super valuable lesson. And, And Val, I love how you're talking about applying it in actually creating a paid program because with Margie, we were talking about it more on the kind of the marketing and, and even the framework development, the idea development side of things. And I, I mm. do believe there's a huge amount of value both for the creator and for the, the student or participant in a program that is co-created in that way. And I also want to really call out that you set the expectation that that's what was happening. Um, yeah. Because I think that that's, that's not, you're not hedging. You're actually adding value, which you kind of mentioned too, that people really appreciate appreciate the opportunity to say and, and have the uh, permission to say, hey, can we get a worksheet for that? Or can we talk yeah. more about this particular idea? I don't quite get it or I really like it and I just want to know more. Like that is a huge value add for, for people. And it's such a great reason for people to get in on the ground floor of something too. This is the first time you've run this program. Mm-hmm. There, You know, you don't have tons of testimonials for it. You have tons of other testimonials, but you can't say so-and-so went through this and made $50,000, right? So you need, you need those other things that that sweeten the deal, that make it a little juicier. And I think co-creating it with your participants is one of those things. I think that's brilliant. 
Yeah, and it and it wasn't going in completely blind and saying, "What do you guys want to learn?" Right. You know, it was outlining what we would cover, and even in uh, all of the lessons are delivered live. I use Crowdcast and and go on live, and then I upload it to Podia later for them as a recording. Uh, and in those live deliveries, I'll I'll ask them. Hey guys, we actually have too much content for this particular hour and a half. And so I'm going to be making a second video for you. Here are the two things that we need to cover. Which one do you want now versus later in a second video? And they'll, those who show up live get to vote right there in the chat of what they want to learn right now. uh, And then what they can grab a video on later on down the line. What a great solution to such a common problem, (laughs) which is too much information. Oh my gosh. I love that. What a great, like that is, that's worth the price of this episode right there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. With this free podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's talk about then how you actually marketed this incubator, because you said you didn't sell it. You mentioned it, but didn't sell it directly on that, this workshop. Who did you actually market the incubator program to? How did you do it? And what were the results? So everyone who attended the workshop got the very first email about it, which actually went out. The workshop was on a Wednesday. The first email went out that Friday. It said it was a reminder of, you know, the fact that I had talked about it on the workshop. Um, Here's that incubator I promised you. And they got first dibs. So the workshop was in November, uh, mid-November. And so I sold it to just them through my through email. So only those 64 people got emails about it for two weeks. Uh, So they had um, they had first access. I didn't have early bird pricing on it. Um, It was because it was a small program. It was intended for 20 people. Uh, Basically, like get your seat now because there were 64 people on this workshop and all 64 of you are hearing about this and there's 20 spots in the program. So get it while you can, if that's something you want. And, uh, and, you know, it was, again, very conversational. It was never like super markety sales tactic stuff. Um, I think I used one countdown timer in that two week period. And that was just to remind them that I would be opening it up to the, to the larger public in December. And so in the beginning of December for two weeks, I ran email campaigns and social media campaigns, uh, not ads, just uh, talking about it on my Twitter, creating threads around particular topics we would discuss in in the program. Um, and then I also made sure that copywriter Facebook groups I was a part of whenever there was a, a, a promo thread or as, as appropriate to the group, I would share information about it there. Um, and so... I sold the first 10 spots just through the workshop. Um, And in that first two weeks, the first 10 spots were gone. It was a mix of, I have two levels. So there's VIP and foundation. Um, VIP has a little more access to me. Um, I actually give them a project to work on, a real life project to work on. Uh, So people who were nervous about selling a project to, because in the incubator, you do have to have a project to work on. That's a requirement that we're implementing on a real life project as we go. So some people had those projects in their hopper ready to go for January and some people wanted something handed to them. And so uh, that's VIP where I would just hand them a project to work on and, uh, and then foundation brought their own projects in. So 
it was a pretty even split of those two spots. And I actually, I would say more VIP sold VIP definitely sold out faster Mm -hmm. overall. Uh, And then the remaining spots were foundation. Um, But in those first two weeks, I think I sold three foundation spots and the rest were VIP. Um, And then it went out to the larger list. And the way that I sold it was, hey, here's this sales page. And I want to talk to you if you're interested in this program. I don't want I don't want you to invest three or $5,000 without talking to the person who yeah. you're going to spend the next 12 weeks with. Um, and so I opened up my calendar and sent them a link and encouraged them to book a call with me. I think two people bought the program without ever booking a call. And, uh, and I encouraged it in emails. I encouraged it in on the sales page itself. And it was in those calls that I really connected with each person and um, almost every single person booked their spot as with, you know, within the hour of hanging up the call. Nice. Okay. So I'm really curious about the fact that you've got, you did get a really great conversion rate off of the workshop. 10 people are, that's phenomenal, or at least in those first two weeks, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like you definitely also had people up to half who were not in the workshop decide to book Mm -hmm. into the incubator. What do you think made the difference for those people? Because ostensibly they had seen the offer for the workshop. They had had the opportunity to invest at a much lower level initially. Why do you think they chose to jump all in on the incubator instead? It's a really good question. I, I think the biggest thing is my shift in my messaging. Um, in, in the workshop, it was very focused on a tactile thing. Here's a thing you can do with your clients, with your, your email clients specifically. Um, And the incubator was really positioned around what specialization can do for your business. And Mm -hmm. here's why I specialized in email. If you are feeling like the geek meter go up when you look at emails, um, you might want to specialize in it too. I can teach you how. Uh, so it was it, the the incubator marketing was much more around specialization and the idea of it took me the last you know eighteen months speed that process up and learn exactly what I have done you know skip all of the mistakes and get the worksheets and the templates and all of that from me um, so I think there is value in in that messaging. That was very different from a tactile learn this research process. And maybe some people thought, I don't need to learn another research process. Mm-hmm. Or I already know there were there are people in the incubator who uh, who base their business in research and they want to learn more about the strategy and copywriting side of email. And that's why they came to the incubator. So they already had their research process pretty nailed. And so they felt like, Okay, well, that piece isn't as applicable, but these other elements of the incubator do make a lot of sense for me. Gotcha. It also sounds like there was sort of with the workshop, there was an implied value proposition of learn this to help your clients better. And with the incubator, Mm -hmm. the implied value proposition was learn this to help yourself, right? To make more money, to book more clients. And as much as we might like... Uh, roll our eyes at the fact that make more money like is a strong value proposition. It's a really strong value proposition. It is. is. And, uh, and so it sounds like there was some of that going on there too, but I really appreciate you kind of breaking down 
why some people bought or why some people didn't buy initially. Um, Cause I think people get really confused in that process of developing out a program or developing out a new line of business, which is essentially what you've done. And they, they think, Oh, well, it's gotta be email list to low price offer to high price offer. And it's like, no, mm. sometimes it doesn't work like that. Some people just want the high priced offer for very good yeah. reasons. Yeah, some people want that that handholding too. Um, maybe there was also an element of well, a workshop is going to be do- dozens or hundreds. Mm-hmm. You know, they had no idea how many people would be there. Um, and Val just as a talking head, but on in this small group incubator with twenty people. I'm going to be seen and heard. And, uh, you know, we, that's all we, that's all anybody wants is to be seen and heard. So uh, I am all for these small programs with a higher price point because I'm serving less people and they're happier and I'm making the same money or more than I would have had I had a lower priced offer with more people in it. Yeah, I think you are exactly right. And I think that this is a big trend that's happening right now. But I don't just think it's a trend. I actually think it's a market correction that is teaching us what is going to be sustainable and of highest value for the longest period of time. And that, to me, is incredibly exciting because I'm on team collaborative learning, high price, <laughs> low, you know, low uh, number of seats uh, kind of programs. I, I really love that. Um, I do want to start wrapping things up, unfortunately, although I have a hundred other questions that I could ask. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of bring it back full circle. Um, at one point, you said that you really wanted to make sure that this idea for the incubator, that, ha- that creating a line of business for this segment of your audience was a good idea in the first place. Um, And it makes me wonder kind of what reservations you had about actually creating an offer for this audience in the first place. What What were some of your hesitations? What were some of your reservations? And how did you prove them to not be true in this process? Anytime I create anything new, I have huge reservations and uh, want to stop myself before I've even started. And that's whether it's a new service in the same exact, uh, you know, market that I'm already working in or a new blog post or anything that's like, okay, I'm creating something from scratch. There's this moment of like, oh, don't do that. It'd just be easier to keep doing what you're already doing. Uh, And I'm going through that process now. I'm building out more of an agency model than a a one-to-one service-based model. And it's very scary to say like, this is all new. This is a a new way of working with people. This is a, a I'm offering new services and by bringing in a team of specialists. And, uh, and so it's very scary. And the best way in both in, you know, in creating the workshop and the incubator and in, in every single day that I'm faced with doing something new, the best way to stop the noisy chatter is to just do it. Um, it's, it's as simple and as hard as that to just take action. Um, the, I was dragging my feet on the workshop forever. I actually, the idea for it was in like August Mm. and it happened in mid November. (laughs) Um, And the only way I made it happen was that I had an accountability partner in my mastermind group. He said, let's, let's do a work hour, like a virtual work hour. Um, We're both clocking in for this work hour. What are you working on? What am I working on? And let's come back in an hour and show each other the, the, you know, finished product. And I said, okay, I'm going to create the landing page for this workshop. And 
uh, he's like, all right, hour timer, go. And we came back and I gave him the link to the landing page and he gave me his feedback. And then uh, that was when it was live. And then I could email people about it. And, uh, and I put it out there. I told him, I told my mastermind group, um, you know, I, I think I teased it in an email so that I wasn't like, super solid of, you know, this is definitely coming, but I, I think I put a PS in an email and said, uh, let me know if this is something that interests you. And people started replying and saying, yeah, I'm interested. So just putting the, the, you know, one foot in front of the other and creating just a little bit. And then the momentum you get from that, uh, keeps you going and, and validating the idea all along the way. So finding the, that support system, whether it is, a single person or a mastermind group, or even, you know, your email list to throw a PS out there or an entire email about, I get these emails from people all the time. They're like, Hey, I'm thinking of creating this service. Is that something that would interest you? If so, can you fill out this type form real quick? And they'll link to something with some more questions that they have. And I love those moments because again, it's co-creating. And it also is, now I have a, a Typeform results uh, spreadsheet with all of these answers. And I mean, that's how I built the incubator content initially was everyone who attended the workshop got a, a survey, a Typeform survey, and I, I asked them a lot of questions. And then those answers that they gave was what outlined the content for the incubator, because obviously I couldn't answer all of their questions in a two hour workshop with Q&A time and all of that. Um, so then, hey, I got all these questions from you guys and I'm going to be answering answering them over the course of 12 weeks. Um, and so you know, doing that, putting a little bit out there, validating it against somebody else or a group of someone else's and just starting, starting small and doing a little bit at a time. I think about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and he talks about how the best way to start a habit is to do one minute of it. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're going to start meditating, do one minute and one minute's going to go by like that. And then you're going to want to do a second minute, but stop yourself. And then on day two, you do two minutes. Or maybe you do one minute for a week and then second week you do two minutes or three minutes, you know, and you incrementally grow over time. And before you know it, you're meditating for 30 minutes every day. And and the same thing is true for every creative endeavor is just just start. And um, and that's what silences all the critics in your head, because the biggest critic is right behind your eyeballs. <laughs> uh, it's your own brain that stops you before you've even started. Brilliant. Val, what's next for you? Uh, so the uh, the agency that I mentioned is is growing right now. Um, mo really moving more from an email focus. I'm still very dedicated to email and and focused on that. But what I've realized is that email touches so many other things, especially when we're talking about software onboarding. Uh, emails link out to help documentation and affiliate programs, and they connect to the messages in the app, the microcopy that happens there. And so I'm pulling together a team of specialists who will tackle all of those things so you your customers can have a seamless experience that they don't read an email and then click through to something and it feels foreign to them. It all ties in together and relates to your brand and, and helps build your customer loyalty, and, which eventually reduces churn. Uh, so I'm building that out as we speak. 
and launching the the agency um, again, it's it's just one step in, in front of the other, and uh, that'll be launched by the end of March. Fantastic! Congratulations, and I cannot wait to see yeah. how that evolves. I can't wait to see how the incubator continues to evolve. Valve guy, blah. Val Geyser, thank you so much for this enlightening conversation and just um, giving us uh, a behind-the-scenes perspective on how you took a seed of an idea and turned it into something really fantastic. Thanks for having me, Tara. It's so fun to talk to you. Find out more about Val Geisler at valgeisler.com. Now, remember, we want to hear your story of planting a seed in your business. Share it with us on Instagram using the hashtag ExploreWhatWorks and tag me, Tara underscore McMullen. We'll be sharing your stories throughout the month, and you'll be entered to win a free lifetime membership to the What Works Network. For full rules and giveaway instructions, go to explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. That's explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. Giveaway closes April 22nd, 2019. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen and edited by Marty Seafell. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 190 candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com.